Matthew 10, Jesus' instructions to his apostles as he sends them out on their missionary journey, first missionary journey. We've been going through it, and I want to mention again as we're turning to it, some things are applicable, obviously, very specifically to the apostles, but then there are other universal principles that are just as applicable to us today. And that's what we're going to work on. That's what we're going to uh, look at the text in terms of what it does say to us. Matthew 10. And we're going to look at 34 to 42. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Hear the Word of God to you this morning. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. My brothers and sisters in Christ. According to Isaiah 9, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The Apostle Paul says this about Jesus. For He Himself is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 One more. Jesus Himself said to His disciples in John 14.27 Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. At this point, maybe some of you may realize where I'm going with this. How do these statements line up with what Jesus just said? In Matthew 10.34, he says, Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, those of you who have been sitting under my ministry for a number of years, you'll know exactly where the answer is going to come from. It's going to come from the context. You've got to look at what went before and what went after, and also look at the language So let me just say this uh, just as a general comment before we dig right into the text. When it comes to our relationship with God and with other believers from all different nations, Jesus certainly is our peace. The Bible, as we just read, teaches us this. And when he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth and he reigns there, then there will be peace, complete peace. Peace will have no end then. His government and his peace will have no end. 
However, when it comes to this fallen, sinful world, which is made up of two types of people, think about it. It's made up of people who refuse to receive the gospel, who reject the gospel, who do not submit to Christ and his claims. And it's also made up of those who do believe in Jesus, who do follow him, who do repent and believe the good news. When it comes to to that world, this fallen world, he has not come to bring peace, but a sword. Because here's the issue. When a man or a woman or a child truly comes to know Christ, Christ will bring a sword into their lives and transform even their most basic relationships. There will be a change. There will be a shift in the old relationship. That's what Jesus is saying here. Notice what he says, I would not come to bring peace to the earth, meaning the fallen world right now that we live in. See, when the, when the disciples would go out with the, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, some would receive it, some would reject it. And that way, it would separate many times even family members. Because in a family, you'd have someone who would repent and believe the good news, and you'd have other people that would want to remain, particularly in this context, Jewish. And they would not receive Christ. And that would cause friction, to say the very least. It would bring tension. And here's the issue. It would bring tension in relationships that at, at that point had seemed stable before the gospel came, before the good news came and transformed one or two of the members. Jesus is telling them ahead of time that this is to be expected. Since He didn't come to smooth things over or to make peace at all costs. Right? We live in a world that they want peace at all costs. And back then was no different. Christians were looked at as those who upset the apple cart. As those who turn things upside down. Cause trouble, cause problems. No, Jesus came to call lost sinners to Himself no matter what the cost in this life. So what we're going to see in this text is this, and we'll, we're going to see this more, more detail in a minute. As Jesus sends us out into His Father's harvest field, He instructs us to love Him more than all others. That's the simple message of this. As Jesus sends us out to preach the good news, He instructs us to love Him above everyone else. Two things we're going to see. It's a two-point sermon this morning. We must put him above our family. That's the first thing you're going to see in this text. And the second thing is we must put him above even our very selves. We've got to put him above our family, and we've got to put him above even our own self. Wow. So let's take a look at the first thing. We must put him above our family. We see this in verses 34 to 36, which we just read. Where Jesus says, I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking here of what we would call the great divide. The message of Christ and him crucified separates all humanity into two camps. 
Believers and unbelievers. Followers of Christ and captives of Satan. Children of God and sons of this age that is perishing. In the final analysis, you either belong to one group or the other. It's more basic than any of the other distinctions. Male, female, black, white, Jew, Gentile. It's either you're saved, you know Jesus, or you don't know Jesus. It's an issue of to whom do you belong? What kingdom are you in? Who is your father? And as we go out and we share the life-giving good news of Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead, especially as we share it with poor needy sinners, we will only help to make those lines clearer, more crystal clear. Even when it comes to the most natural, the most basic, the most fundamental social groups of all, and that is families. When the gospel comes, when the smoke is clear, we see what side folks align up with. And as we share that good news, as it were, sometimes it's very hard to, for those folks to, that say they're on the fence. Their colors come out. It shows who their allegiance is to. And Jesus says, because of him, a man will be against his father and a daughter against her mother. John White puts it this way in his book on discipleship. He says, if you commit yourself to Jesus Christ, you automatically change every other relationship in your life. When he becomes supreme to you, other people slip into other places. Those nearest to you may become alienated. Those whom you once abhorred will become dear and intimate. The question of future marriage assumes a new solemnity. The reevaluation and reorientation that follow commitment apply not only to values, but also to people. How often we see this when someone comes to Christ from a Jewish or Muslim background. In some cases, the rest of the family disowns them. And in extreme cases, and, and this does happen, the family will have a funeral. And we'll write them off as dead. We've heard that you're dead to me. I don't have a son. Or I don't have a daughter. This happens. It's real. And in some cases, relatives will even turn their Christian family members into the authorities to be executed in countries where it's illegal to convert to Christianity. So you'll find Christians that are executed because one of their family members ratted them out a close family member. That's the cost. Jesus referred to that similar situation earlier in chapter 10, verses 21 to 22. He says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. We may not face that kind of family tension and persecution to this extent in our country at this point in time. But many of us know the pain of being the odd man out because we belong to Christ. Some of us are blessed with having a Christian family. You have devotions around the table and you pray together and you sing together, you go to church. 
Uh, and that's a great thing. It's an awesome covenant blessing that I wish for all of you. But some of us know what it's like to be in families where we're the only one who believes. And it breaks our hearts. And our hearts bleed. And we pray for their conversion. I think of one time on my own mother, I was just saved for a couple months, and my own mother was trying to, trying to get me to go back to a works-oriented religion, a self-righteousness religion, a religion where you work your way to heaven. Uh, this, I was only saved for a couple months, and she said, she sat me down in her room, which had um, you know, pictures of Mary, and it was very <laughs> set up like a shrine. You know, that's how she had it. And she said, Sam, I'm your mother. I raised you. I love you. You've only known this crazy guy, this guy who led me to the Lord, for like two months. You know, how do you know he's right? And it was at a time like that that I had to constantly remind myself of these words of Jesus. Listen again, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more, more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I had to remember the, one of the dearest people in my whole life is my mom, my Sicilian mother. By the way, she did change her mind and she did come to know Jesus before she died. So that's a real blessing. But up to that point, uh, we would say together, it was a lot of agita. But even her, I had to say, Lord Jesus, you come first. And so must we. Howard Voss captures the gist of Jesus' point well when he states this. What Jesus says about such situations is that a disciple must not let natural affections and family ties take precedence over his stand for Christ. He must not disown Christ because of the opposition of family members and to restore peace in the family. Jesus' call for discipleship requires total devotion. In other words, there is a line where we cannot cross for peace. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Right? But if you tell me to turn my back on Christ or to deny Christ in some significant way, that I cannot do. I'm not breaking the peace at that point. You are. I remember and there was an elder in my old church in upstate New York and he had just come back from a men's prayer breakfast and he said the speaker said, he was giving marriage advice and he said, you need to look for a spouse that loves Jesus more than you. And I said, man, that's awesome. I said, that, that really puts it super well. Because I'll tell you why. I want my wife to love Jesus more than me, because then I know she's safe in his care. And I want her to love Jesus more than me, because then she'll be good for my spiritual life. Can I get an amen? Amen, that's it. On another note, we need mothers, for instance, parents who love Jesus more than they love their children. See, so notice what Jesus says, anyone who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now I'm meddling, ain't I? I'm meddling now, but I'm not. Jesus is. 
Because then they'll lovingly discipline their children. They'll train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and even willingly offer them up to sacrificial service for the Lord if it so pleases God. Spurgeon once said this. This was powerful to me. He said, I cannot tell how much I owe to the prayers of my good mother. Now listen to this. This is strong stuff. He says, I remember her once praying. Imagine as a kid listening to your mom pray this prayer. Listen. Now, Lord, if my children go on in sin, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ and claim him as their personal Savior. Wow! That's someone committed to Jesus. She's saying on the day of judgment, she will stand with Jesus and bear witness against her kids. That's in keeping with the spirit of this passage. And it's a good wake-up call for all of us. You know, I dare not trust in the sweetest frame, but wholly lean what? On Jesus' name. Dare not trust the sweetest frame. For me, it's refreshing to hear a testimony of a mother who loves Jesus even above her own children. Listen, here's what the world will tell you. And this is exactly what the world is talking about. They'll say, don't be too religious. If you're too religious, it's dangerous. When I first got saved, I, I went to one of my neighbors to tell my friend what happened. And his mother was in the room when I was sharing, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian now, I'm saved, and I'm going to church. And his mother was, was there, and then the dad walked in, and the mother said to the dad, hey, guess what? Santo's going to church now. And the dad said, oh, that's good. We, we could all use a little religion. And I said to him, a little religion will kill you. It's not a little religion. Little religion. We need to either be in, all in or all out. There is no little. Jesus is simply telling us to put Him first, even above family. Listen to this. He was willing to walk the lonely road to the cross for us. He was willing to give up his life as a fragrant sacrifice for our sins. That we might be redeemed, forgiven. That we might be headed to heaven instead of headed to hell. He was willing to associate with us in our sin and our shame. And he's saying, if you're not willing to associate with me, then you're not worthy of me. old hymn that we would sing in my alma mater covenant college all for jesus all for jesus all my beings ransomed power all my thoughts and words and doings all my days and all my hours let my hands perform his bidding let my feet run in his ways let my eyes see only jesus let my lips speak forth his praise worldlings prize their gems of beauty cling to gilded toys of dust boast of wealth and fame and pleasure only Jesus will I trust. It's a convicting song, isn't it? <laughs> Sing those words, you go, wow. Is that true of me? Is that true of you? The same sword that cuts out sin in our lives and restores us and reconciles us to God and to one another is the same sword that unfortunately also divides us. That's what Jesus is saying. 
He has to come before family. Second thing he says, we must put him above our very selves. Look at this, verses 38 and 39. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Elizabeth Elliot has a book on purity. It's called Passion and Purity. And she writes this in it. I want, I want to tell you this quote. If a man denies himself comforts, vacations, pleasures with his family, evenings at home, or the free indulgence of whatever appetite he feels, it's usually for money. Nobody will worry very much about his being repressive or fanatical or weird so long as money is his motive. If your goal is purity of heart, be prepared to be thought very odd. And I want to change a quote just a little bit. And I want to say, if your goal is being faithful to Jesus, then all of a sudden, any, all the sacrifices we make, the world will say we're crazy. They'll say we're nuts. We're, we're religious fanatics. But think about it this way. When the world sees somebody that gives up everything to devote to their instrument, whether it's guitar or violin, and they become a master of it, and they're world-renowned, people, they bow down and worship the guy, Right? Or when you see an actor that, oh man, he is just such an awesome actor. He gave up everything in his life so he could be this great actor. Everybody applauds. But don't expect that applause when you give it all up for Jesus. That's what he's saying. And very often, people want to put God in the dock. How many times I hear people trying to cross-examine God to see if He's worthy to be our God? I think we need to be much more concerned whether or not He finds us worthy of Him. That's what Jesus is. I mean, look at how many times He says He's not worthy, not worthy, not worthy of following me. These words of Jesus in Matthew 10 teach us anything. It's that the totality of our lives as believers are wrapped up in our relationship with Him, with Jesus. Our intimate association with Him. It really is all about Jesus. Because think about it. The only reason God the Father accepts us is because of Jesus. The only reason God we prayed this morning, the only reason why God even bothers to listen is because of Jesus. The only reason you've been given a new life, if you know, know him, is because of Jesus. You're connected to him, his perfect life and his perfect sacrifice on your behalf. And that's the beauty of it. But it's also true that because of him and your connection to him, you're going to be hated. You're going to be rejected by men, possibly even martyred. Just as the world hated, persecuted, and killed him. Look, I'm going to run through this quickly to show you how it's all about Jesus. Look at some of these verses. Verse 18. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings, etc. Verse 22. All men will hate you because of me. Verse 37. Anyone who loves, loves his father or mother more than me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. <laughs> you see this, the pattern here? Yeah, and the me is Jesus. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life, what? For my sake, will find it. But here's the tremendous blessing in losing our lives for Jesus' sake. He says, 
we will find it. That's the glorious paradox of losing your life for Jesus' sake. Surprise, surprise, you find it. It's counterintuitive. The irony is, listen, this is important. I'm almost done here. The irony is those who cling to their sin, to their own selfish ways, those who try to be the captain of their own fate, those who refuse to throw in their lot with Jesus, they will actually suffer eternal loss. And here's the sad irony of it. The very thing they tried so hard, they put all their effort into preserving, the very thing they tried to protect so dearly, that's the thing that will end up slipping through their fingers and they will lose in the end. Because he who tries to find his life, save his life, will lose it. You can't keep it. That's the irony. But those who gladly lose their lives for the crucified one, who joyfully accept whatever worldly losses that may entail, they end up finding true, abundant, eternal life. And eternal life is not only life in heaven forever, although it is that. John tells us in his gospel, Jesus says eternal life is knowing God and knowing the one he sent. There's no richer life than being in communion with the God who made you and who designed life. Not only in this world, but the world to come. A famous journal entry from missionary and martyr Jim Elliott really puts it well. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which what he cannot lose. Think about that. You're not a fool. If you're giving up something you can't keep anyway for something that no one could take away from you. What Jesus gives, is his gifts are irrevocable. And they're lasting. They're not here today, gone tomorrow. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. One more quote. I couldn't resist. H.A. Evan Hopkins says this, When we set out to bring this wonderful message to people who often seem perfectly contented without it, ain't that the truth, we need something more than human inclination to carry us through to the end. Only the love of God in our hearts will keep us to it in the face of rebuff and disappointment again and again. In other words, only the love of Jesus. If you're doing it for Jesus, then you will keep on keeping on no matter how discouraging it gets. You do it for any other reason, eventually you'll find a reason to stop. Let me close with this. Look at the wonderful blessing you will be to others when you do put Jesus before your family and even your own life. Look at verses 40 to 42, just briefly as we close. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. So brothers and sisters, as we go out and we share the life-giving gospel with folks, it's true we will be rejected. 
It's true that we will have, there will be suffering, but it's also true that some will receive. And those who receive will be blessed and will be rewarded on that day for receiving the, me- receiving the messengers. You know, when we talk to, sometimes I'll, I'll have to give a message to somebody, I'll say, hey, don't shoot me, I'm just the messenger. But in the Christian life, that Jesus says they will shoot you. <laughs> right? Because uh, you are more than a messenger. You're part of me. But on the other hand, those who receive us receive Jesus. And those who receive Jesus receive the Father. And they will not be without the reward if they even give us a cup of water. The blessing is we have the honor. It's not about whether God's worthy. We know He's worthy. It's whether we're worthy to bear the name. And the fact that God calls us by name is the highest honor anyone on earth could ever have. I remember William Carey. I'm going to close with this. William Carey, um, he was a missionary to India. And he was grooming his son, hoping that his son would become a missionary. And his son ended up becoming an ambassador for the Burmese government. And um, he ended up, uh, uh, according to what I read, his spirit shriveled up and he, he was no longer interested in the things of God. And this is what um, William Carey said, Pray for my son, for he has stooped to become an ambassador for the Burmese government. In other words, if you're just a humble servant of Jesus sharing the good news, that is the high, high calling. You get it? To become an ambassador for a, a government doesn't even compare to the position you have as Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that they're strong words, but they're holy words. They're purifying words. They remind us of the call that we're all called to, whether we're pastors, whether we're plumbers, whether we're doctors, whether we're construction workers, if we know you, we are called to share your love, both in word and deed. We thank you for the gospel, for it is the power of God for all who believe. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, continue to work in our hearts what's pleasing in your sight. And Lord, we do beg you to keep us faithful, strong to the end, that we might be among those who... um, are firm to the end and are saved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.